Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Luke's English Podcast is sponsored by italki, uh, a service that helps you to arrange lessons and conversations with English speakers and qualified teachers online. You choose your teacher, you agree what kind of English lessons you'd like, and then you fix some lessons according to your own schedule. And because you listen to this podcast, italki will give you a voucher worth one lesson when you buy some talking time. Lots of Lepsters are on italki, improving their English all the time and having a great experience doing it. To get started, go to teacherluke.co.uk slash talk or click an italki logo on my website. You're listening to Luke's English Podcast. For more information, visit teacherluke.co.uk. Hello, folks. Welcome back to Luke's English Podcast. Here is the next part of my conversation with Andy Johnson, recorded at the London School of English just a few days ago. Andy is an English teacher, a father of two kids, and also a regular runner. He's done at least one marathon and a few half marathons. And I thought that since many of you listening to this podcast will also be runners, in fact, some people will be running right now while listening to this, that it might be interesting to hear Andy talking about his reasons for running, the way he does it, the benefits, the difficulties, and all the rest of it. So here is a conversation about running. Now, if you're not into running, if you prefer basically just sort of standing still or sitting down, perhaps, uh, if you're not into running, I would still uh, recommend that you listen to this. Uh, You might actually be surprised at how personal it gets when Andy explains his reasons for training for the London Marathon 10 years ago. It turns out that running has special significance for Andy and that running the London Marathon 10 years ago was a key moment in his life as it marked a significant milestone for him. And running acts as a regular reminder of a particularly difficult experience that Andy had when he was uh, when he was younger. So this episode is, is about more than just running. It's also about uh, a lot more than that. Uh, I'd like to thank Andy again for taking part in another episode of the podcast and for sharing uh, so much of his story in this one. Uh, vocab Hunters Watch out for vocabulary relating to doing exercise, health, fitness, technique, injuries, and medical care. So, without further ado, you can now listen to our conversation about running. Let's do it. So then, Andy, um, as well as being an English teacher and all that stuff, you're also a dad, as we know. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're also a runner, someone who runs. Yes. Someone who likes to run. I like to run, whether I describe myself as a runner. Um, what's yeah. it, why? What, what's the difference between you and a, and a runner? Um, good point. I suppose the thing is, if you think about if a runner is an athlete, yeah. that's where I'm a little bit 
unsure about describing myself as an athlete. So a runner would be someone who primarily runs. Like exactly. Someone whose job it is like a professional athlete yeah. or something. Yeah, yeah. You're yeah. someone who runs rather who than... Who goes running, yeah. Right, I see. Quite a lot, okay. yeah. But, I mean, you know, you've done lots of running. You, how often do you go running? Um, try and go three or four times a week. It depends, really. It depends what I'm training for. Um, so uh, I try and do four or five half marathons a year uh-huh. i'm training to do the london marathon next year as well yeah. so i've done it once before and I'll, i'd like to do it again um i don't know if i'll get a place yet because it's a very difficult thing to get into so yeah it depends depends what i'm doing sometimes four or five times a week a lot of people uh who listen to this podcast uh actually listen while they're running yes i've heard this We've got lots of joggers listening to the podcast a lot of people listening will be actually running right now. Um, so let's talk about running, shall we? I've never done a, I've never had an episode about running before. Okay. So I, since I know that there's a, uh, a fairly large portion of my audience who will be running as we speak. It's quite meta. It could be quite confusing for you if you're running and you're now listening to us talking about running. Yeah. Perhaps we should give some encouragement straight off the bat. Yeah, go on. Hurry up. Keep going. Keep going. <laughs> Don't stop running. That's it. That's it. Left foot, right foot, left foot again. Repeat. Repeat. Just keep doing repeat. that and don't stop. Stop laughing. Even if you want to stop, don't. <laughs> just keep going until you die. No, don't do that. <laughs> you just what is there a is there a, is it bad to run too much? Uh yeah, I can imagine it is. Um on a serious note, you always need to listen to your body. I've just come back from an injury, so I had to take a week off. Um, and yesterday was the first time I ran in seven days. And I'm glad I took the week off, because if I'd carried on running through, I think I would have made it a lot worse. So what, what did you do to yourself? I had a groin strain, Luke. A groin strain? Okay. A groin strain. You so... need to explain exactly what the groin is <laughs> in as much detail as possible. Okay. Well, uh, the groin is the area in between your legs. Let's put it that way. It's like where your legs meet your body. Exactly. It's where, it's where your legs attach to your body on the inside. So your hip is the outside, your groin is the inside. And, and a groin strain is, is kind of usually, it's a, it's, a, it's a soreness down the inside of your thigh. It can be all the way down to your knee. Okay. So from your private... <laughs> it can be all the way down to your knee, can it? Yes. Okay. Um, so from the private area all the way down to the knee, yeah, it, it that's may, the groin, is it, it? It's difficult if you injure it and you have to go and see a physio because they're going to be getting in there and doing some prodding, which is uh, in, in the areas that you don't really uh, feel... They're sticking their fingers... Should be sharing with too many people. Inside the groin there just exactly. to find out the source of the pain. Yeah, and it is usually a really deep pain. I'm, I'm actually pointing at my... Yeah, I'm pointing at myself. But it's a deep pain, sort of really deep within the the the, the groin, the leg. Yeah. Okay. So basically, it's where your it's where your private parts also exist. That's why it's, it's you know an awkward place. Yeah. Because uh, you know, it's where what is it? Ligaments and tendons. Yeah. That yeah. attach those big leg muscles yeah. to to the bones and stuff. Yeah, and it's those it. things that get torn or, or injured. Yeah, they just get overused. Really, it's a classic injury. Yeah, when okay. you do running or football, a lot of footballers get groin strains as I well. See. So listen to your body. I've heard this before. Yeah. By the way, listeners, I you know I, I did say that uh, there are some people who go running regularly and they might be running right now while listening to this, and this is like a shout out to the jogging mm. crew. I also would like to say that. 
you know, I don't run. Uh, I never go running, and I'm generally quite inactive you, and you, not very not very active. I don't do a lot of physical exercise. So if you're one of those people who doesn't do exercise and in fact hates exercise, don't worry. I'm I've got your back. Okay. So if you feel left out by this, then you know. I'm here with you because I am also a lazy bastard too. <laughs> okay, but Andy is the running the running man. Let's call him the running man. I like that. Yeah. Um, the, and, just yeah. just one thing. You can tell that you don't do running because you keep calling it jogging. Oh right. No one calls it jogging anymore. Really, it's jogging from the seventies. Jogging was, I think, the seventies and the eighties. It, it's always just been running, but it was when they tried to make it like a, a, a new kind of um, exercise, a, a fad. So they called it jogging and there's that bit in anchorman where he doesn't know how to pronounce it and he goes i think it's called yoging <laughs> but, right. yeah. oh almost forgot i won't be able to make it fellas veronica and i are trying this new fad called uh jogging i believe it's jogging or yogging it might be a soft j i'm not sure but apparently you just run for an extended period of time it's supposed to be wild but right. yeah, it's one of those things that if, if, you, if you speak to people who regularly do marathons and half marathons and you say that they're joggers, ooh, you're in trouble. Okay, so lesson learned. You don't call them joggers, ladies and gentlemen. They don't like that. <laughs> call them runners. It sounds much better. It sounds much more athletic. Um, so, all right. So, what, what kinds of things do you want to hear when you're running? Like, what are the things... Imagine you're running. What would be yeah. the things that you would want to hear while you were listening to something? Um, as in encouragement or in terms of... Just anything. Like, what's going to... What will bring relief or encouragement to people who are running right now? Um, probably the finish line. No. Um, like, it'll be over soon. It'll be Don't over worry. Soon. It's not going to last going. forever. Well, I find it really difficult to run to podcasts. I've got to be honest, I much prefer running to music because, mm. you know, you can, you get used to the beat and, you know, you can speed up or slow down according to the song. I think running to a podcast can be quite difficult if you've got someone that's just really not very interesting or um, you're listening to something which is just, it, it, it keeps stopping and starting because it just uh, affects your rhythm uh, as well. Um, so do we need to be talking with the rhythm? We could do with some backing music. You can we put need, it on afterwards, can't you? We should be rapping this this whole thing. <laughs> be my guest. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's all right. Um, um, and it, it, in terms of encouragement, I, I was talking to somebody about this the other day, but um, when you do big events and you've got people watching and crowds watching, they always say the same thing. They always say, keep going, keep going. And you're like, well, of course I'm going to keep going. I'm not going to stop. <laughs> and especially I did, I did a half marathon in March and um, maybe I looked really tired, but I'd been running for about 500 metres. Just 500 metres? From the start. And somebody went, keep going. And like, well, yeah, obviously. <laughs> Dude, I'm not going to stop now. And then he just started. <laughs> <laughs> So keep going isn't the thing that that you want to hear then. No. What, well, what is it then? It's like uh, something else, like totally distracted, like a joke. Yeah, that would be good. Just yeah. to, something to keep your mind off it. Yeah. As you're running by, they could say, um, "Got to think of a joke now." I don't know. Like, uh, 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 so imagine you're running along, okay, and somebody from the crowd shouts out to you, "Knock, knock." <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You'd be like, "Oh, okay, yeah. Who, oh, knock, knock. Who's there?" You know, you'd be into that. Or why does the scan? Why does the Swedish Navy have barcodes on the side of the boats? 
I don't know. Why does the Swedish Navy have barcodes on the side of the boats? Barcodes are those things that are black and white stripes that... You know what a barcode is. You're killing the joke. Yeah, sorry. It's not even a good joke. I'm very good at that. So, why why does the Swedish Navy have barcodes on the side of the boats? I don't know. So, you're running along, and they go... So, when they return to port, they can Scandinavian. (gasps) Oh, goodness. They can Scandinavian. That's brilliant. Uh, no, it's not. I oh, know. I like that kind of thing. They can. Did you get it, listeners? They can scan the navy in, like bip, bip, like that, literally. And it sounds like Scandinavian. Yeah, it's just a bit of a callback to a previous episode where we talked about my my uh, Swedish roots. That's right. Yeah. Okay. Um, so, so maybe jokes and things like that. Jokes might, would be good. Yeah. I mean, when I did the London Marathon, um, I remember it really clearly. I, I had like a, I had a vest on with my name on it. So that was really good because people kept shouting your name saying, come on, Andy, that was really good. Uh-huh. But I remember running past a pub in the east end of London. I've probably been, it was about 18, 19 miles into the race just when it's beginning to get, actually it was, like, it was further than that. It was about 21 miles just when it's getting really, really painful and difficult. Yeah. And the, the great thing about the London Marathon is all the pubs, like have um loudspeakers and sound systems outside and they play music all day and the dj went this one's for you andy and he played eye of the tiger oh really (laughs) fantastic okay that was encouraging that's good so that sort of encouragement is good so how did you get into running then um when did you start doing that i started about would have been about 10 years ago would have been not long after I started work here at the London School. Yeah. So had you been doing other exercise before that? Yeah, cycling, a bit of football, that kind of thing. Um, but I wanted a, I wanted to do a challenge. I wanted a new challenge. And I particularly, I set my heart on running the London Marathon. So I kind of went from nothing to doing a marathon in about, it was about 14 months, 16 mm. months, mm. which in hindsight was a bit of a, a bit of a, a challenge that I probably should have given myself a bit more time. How many months? Uh, well, I started training on the 1st of January. And then, so I trained for the whole year. And then I did the marathon in April the following year. Oh, so that's not enough time. Not enough time, really. Really? Yeah. Okay. Because it's a serious uh, uh, challenge, isn't it, the marathon? Yeah. When your body goes from doing no running to having to do like 30 miles a week, you just, I just kept getting injured. Mm-hmm. I kept groin, getting... Groin strain? Groin, knee, all sorts of things, you know. So I spent more time at the physio than running in the last few months, to the point where I really didn't know if I was going to be able to do the, the marathon at all. I mean, yeah. I, I was not running two weeks before. I was okay. recovering from an injury. So what on earth is the appeal of it, Andy? Because I've whenever my experiences of running are mm. this. I run um, maybe because I'm late or some horrible, stressful situation... And I'm running and I get stitch. Yeah. And I get out of breath. <laughs> and I'm running like that and it's just pure pain, pure discomfort. It's horrible. Yeah. Uh, I, 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 I can't stand it, right? Now, I've never actually done proper running like mm. the way you do mm. and the way many other people do. But generally, my experience of running is just pain and discomfort and stress. Uh, so what on earth is the appeal of running? Um. I oh a lot of things I think 
one of the, one of the best things is the the whole endorphin rush that you get from doing it. So even if you're really tired, and I am very tired at the moment with a six week old baby, yeah, and but the Lego the, situation and Lego, yeah, <laughs> the best thing you can do you just start moving, go out and run, and then you you know your your energy is completely replenished. So there's that. So I think it actually gives you energy. Oh yeah, totally. Yeah, totally. Um, it means I can eat what I want, so I don't need to worry about what I eat. The other thing I think, particularly when I first started running, I found it a really great way just to zone out and not think about anything. Zone out. Yeah. So you'd run and you'd you'd, you'd you wouldn't really be thinking about anything and just clearing your mind. And that to me was really, really good because I think when I was younger, I used to have a, a very, very active mind and I used to worry about things that perhaps I shouldn't worry about. Mm. And mm. so just running would completely clear my mind. And there's, um, there's a really good book by Murakami, the, the Japanese author, um, who did Norwegian wood and, and so on. Mm. And he's kind of did, um, an autobiography and it, and it's, it's titled, This is What I Think About When I Think About Running, if that makes okay. sense. This is what I think about when I think about running. And he kind of talks about the same thing, this idea of you can just kind of get into a different state of being when you're running. Mm-hmm. And I think there's something in it. I think for a lot of people, you can just zone out and it's it's really nice. Because yeah. I think like the bit you describe about having a stitch and being out of breath, a lot of people hate running. And what they're thinking is, how much further? Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And once you get over that stage, I think running can be incredibly rewarding. Okay. Do you think that you need to get to a certain level of fitness before it starts to become enjoyable? Yeah. I think, well, I think what you do is you, you just run for as long as you can run while without it becoming really unpleasant. Mm. And then you just gradually build that up. It's, okay. it's a commitment, but they say, you know, when you first start running, you should run for five minutes, then walk for five minutes. And I think there's a lot of truth in that. But don't go out there trying to do like half an hour in one go because you'll, you'll just hate it. Mm. Okay. All right. I should probably give it a try. Where do you run, though? Because, I mean, I live in Paris and there aren't that many places. I can't really run through the streets because there's just like people carrying baguettes and uh, <laughs> girls on bicycles and uh, accordion players. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, uh, it's not really ideal for jogging. Oh, qu'est-ce que tu, qu'est-ce que tu fais là? I'm jogging. Quoi? Um, qu'est-ce, qu'est-ce que c'est jogging? There's that word again. You mean running? <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. I can't talk. I'm, I'm still going. Bye. That's the sort of thing that happens. Tell me a joke. Tell me a joke. No, you wouldn't understand it. That's, you know, that's why I can't go running in Paris. So where do it's you... It's a compelling you, argument. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, and um, so are you, are you running on the, on, on the pavement, on the road, on, on the grass or what? A uh, uh, bit of everything. I mean, we're quite fortunate because we live close to the river. So um, I can come out of where we live and go either east or west and there's, follow the Thames path. Uh-huh. So like yesterday, I, the run was entirely on the Thames path and then I'll cross a bridge go back along the other side of the river, cross another bridge, come back home. So there's loads of loops that you can do. And most of it's tarmac. Some of it's, um, if you go beyond Putney towards Hammersmith, where I used to live, it's all gravel and it's it's quite nice. It, uh, is it, isn't it sort of uh, damaging if you run on, on tarmac? Apparently. I think um, the technology now with shoes is such that you can minimise that risk. Mm. Um, but yeah, I mean, who knows? Ask me in, in 10 years. <laughs> 
Okay. If, if, if I can walk, I'll call might... you on the te- telephone in ten years. Can you still Skype, walk? Because you obviously won't be able to leave the house. It'll either be Lego or running that's done me. Both. In. Yeah. A, com- a combination of the two. Combination of running and and having Lego on the ground. Mm. So okay, how many marathons have you done? I've done one full marathon. Uh huh. And I've done about twenty half marathons. So a marathon is 26 miles, is that right? Yep, 26.2. 26.2 miles. Uh, 42 kilometres, 195 metres. And you chose to do your first marathon, the London Marathon, the mm. one that you told us about earlier, just as a challenge, a personal challenge, was it? Yeah, I mean, it was... The reason I did it, there's a bit of a story behind this, so I hope you you don't mind me telling it. No, we but, like stories. Um, I'm 42 now. When I was 21, I was diagnosed with cancer with um, primary bone cancer in my leg, of all places. And um, I was... It was just before I was going to take my finals at university. And um, I was hospitalised with with leg pain. And I had to go into hospital for for tests and x-rays. And they found that there was a tumour about the size of um, a golf ball on my... Just below my left knee. So... I had uh, various tests and so on, and they said, well, it's not looking good. Um, You've got a um, 50-50 chance of survival, Mm. but we're going to have to amputate your leg. Which, as a 21-year-old, you're kind of like, well, for any age, you don't want to hear that. But particularly... First of all, it's 50-50, but in any case, case, you have to amputate your leg. That means, listeners, I mean, I guess you know what amputate means. It means to remove, remove, mm. they were going to remove your leg. They're going to remove my leg, yeah. Yeah. Um, and I since found out afterwards that actually I didn't have a 50-50 chance. Like they'd given me a 3% chance of survival. 3% chance? It was a really unusual and aggressive form of cancer. And quite unusual at that age as and, well, isn't it? Yeah, well, actually, no. It was something called Ewing sarcoma, um, which is primary bone cancer. And in, oddly enough, it seemed to affect um late teens early 20s really? particularly males really yeah and at the time um there was i think in the world there were 60 people who had it including me wow so it was really super rare and um i was very fortunate because um i was fortunate for a number of reasons but one of the reasons was um because of my situation it wasn't looking good they put me on to an experimental kind of um treatment mm. chemotherapy mm. and i I had to do, I think, four sessions of chemotherapy, which is basically going into hospital on a Monday, being pumped full of drugs for four days, and then going home and just feeling absolutely dreadful for about a week to ten days, mm. then beginning to recover, and then starting the whole thing again. So you do it in three-week cycles. Oh, my God. And um, I, I had to do four lots of that before they could do any kind of surgery or amputation. And miraculously, it actually killed the tumour which was was a miracle really i mean it was it was one of those things that nobody expected the the trial to be so successful yeah so i i remember going in for surgery and the surgeon said to me he was an australian guy and he goes well mate we'll try and uh, save your leg but uh, we'll see what happens and i remember it really clearly they got like a big um marker pen out you know those big black pens that you use on the boards here in in the classrooms and he drew a big arrow on my left thigh pointing down to the knee with the words this one (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> he didn't draw like a dotted line around your and, leg. And he drew a dotted line where they would cut. Did he really? Yeah, they did that. So oh around the God. top. And, um, and you know, I just thought, there's little things like this which are just so kind of surreal. You think, oh, yeah, I suppose that's, you have to do that. So they cut the right leg off. Um, or the correct leg. Or the correct leg, Was yeah. it the right or left leg? It was leg? the left one, It was yeah. the left leg. Um, so I, I remember going in for surgery and I, in mentally preparing myself for the worst. And when I woke up, the first thing I did is I kind of reached down and slapped my knee, just check it. My leg was still there. And of course it was. And, um, how did that feel? Uh, amazing. Amazing. I think, I mean, I was very high on the anesthetic, but I remember crying a lot. It's just, it's just pure relief. And, um, I mean, the leg was damaged quite a lot. So the, the tumour was sitting at the top of my, um, I always forget, it's the fibula. Yeah. So you've got two bones in your leg. You've got the main one where all your weight goes on. Yeah. And then you've got another bone that kind of comes up the side. I think it's, yes, yeah, the fibula, isn't it? It's yeah. the tibia. The tib is the main one. The fibula is yeah. the small one. I always get the two mixed up. I should know. And they had to remove like the top two inches, about 10 centimetres, if you like, of the um, the fibula. Oh, right. But by doing that, they had to cut away all the muscle and so on and so forth. So you've got a muscle that runs down the side of your leg and it, it operates your ankle, lifting your ankle up and down. Right, right. Yeah. And that was gone. So my foot was basically dropping down and I had to wear like a special splint on it for the first couple of years to keep it upright. And then they offered me the opportunity to do some surgery to basically attach another tendon on my ankle. Mm. And it's the, it's the tendon that moves your foot left and right. Okay. That still worked. And they were going to drag it across and reattach it so I could then go up and down. It's amazing stuff. So they did that. And that was, that was another surgery. And then from that point on, slowly I've kind of built it up. I mean, if I'm, if I'm wearing shoes, you don't notice. I don't have a limp or anything like that. Yeah. Unless I've stubbed my toe on Lego. <laughs> um, but, you know, if I don't have shoes on, then you can you can still see. And I've got quite some some tasty scars down there. But yeah. if people ask, I just tell them it was a shark attack. <laughs> <laughs> That's fine. So anyway, so th- that was all that. And then I think I was 21 when that happened. or t- Sorry, 22. And um, what I really wanted to do to mark 10 years of being in remission and, and having gone through all this... I wanted to do something really challenging that used my leg yeah. that had been, you know, surgically repaired. And and what else is there to do apart from run a marathon? Yeah. So that's kind of what got, got me into it. And I think um, that motivation of having been in that place and being able, being one of the very lucky people who actually survived and, and recovered and has led a... A, a, you know a, a, a normal life from there that's why i did it um and it's why i want to do it again next year because it's going to be 20 years since i entered remission so um that's kind of my motivation for, for getting into it i think you know i love it as well i love running and i could have very easily stopped running after doing the marathon and ticking that box off but i got so much out of it as i said before it you know it helped me mentally to stop worrying and i think a lot of my worry comes from the fact that i had health problems um do you, do you feel like it, it sort of left a uh, uh, it had an effect on your mental state it it does it does because uh, for a lot of people that have been through a life-changing illness like that the focus everyone's focus seems to be on physical recovery yeah but you know i was 21 when i um 
was diagnosed two weeks after my 21st birthday. That's right. Mm -hmm. And I was about to leave university and start my career. And, you know, at 21, there's a lot going on in your life. Oh, yeah. You, 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 I wasn't in a very good way at that time. Yeah, a lot of people I, are. I had no real problems. Because you've got all this pressure. You've got all this pressure to, to sort of decide what you want to do with your life and throw onto that the fact that you've got a life-threatening illness. And I was basically doing chemotherapy. I mean, even after the operation, I had to continue with chemotherapy for eight more months Oof. just to make sure that it didn't spread. So, so I, for several years, I mean, well, for eight months, you were undergoing chemotherapy. For a year. Is, for a year. For a year, yeah. Oh, gosh. And that, I mean, I know what that's like, you know. Uh, that's that's horrible. I mean, yeah. it's poison, isn't it? It's poison. Essentially, what it does is it just, it, it's an amazing drug in some respects because it kills everything inside you. But cancerous cells don't regenerate, healthy ones do, which is why people lose their hair. Uh-huh. It's why people, um, you know, they all their eyebrows fall out and they, they can often lose their teeth as well. You can have problems with, with, with dental issues. There's all sorts of things that happen to you. And, you know, I was lucky that I was 21. I was quite strong. I was healthy and I was able to recover. Mm. Um, but yeah, to, to, it, it's the mental side of it is is tough. It's challenging, and I suppose it's a trauma as well. It I is mean, a, you know, yeah. a, a big trauma yeah. when you're told that you know you, you're given this bad news mm. and it's actually happening, mm. and you go through that fear of wondering if when I wake up, will my leg still be there, mm. and am I going to make it? Mm. Especially if it's a long term thing, mm. it's going on for over a year. Yeah, I mean, that's the sort of thing that really gets into your head after a while yeah it, it's the yeah i mean what you do worry about the physical side you worry if you're ever going to make a full recovery but also and i'm almost ashamed to admit this but yeah. you're quite vain at that age uh-huh. and you think oh my god i'm going to be disabled mm-hmm. and all the things that all the stigma that's attached to being disabled particularly you know 20 years ago it was much worse than it is now i think it's a much more it's a much more tolerant society of those kinds of things nowadays um but yeah, you, 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 and there's other things as well. You know, for example, chemotherapy can take away your ability to have kids. Yeah. And that at the time when I was 21, I didn't really care about that. But as the years went by and, you know, I met my wife, um, God, I should know this. When was it? <laughs> I met my wife 14 years ago. You had yeah. like very little sleep last night yeah. and you stepped on Lego at 4 a.m. this morning. That's so. the clinch. Yeah, that was far worse than cancer. <laughs> um, um, so, yeah, I met my wife 14 years ago and, you know, I quickly realized that I would have I would have loved to have started a family with her and we, we weren't able to do that. Um, so in the end, uh, we we thought, well, let's just see. Let's just go and see whether we can do tests and everything because when you when i was having my treatment i was able to 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 store some you know semen so you could possibly start a family so i thought well let's kick off this and see if there's anything in it turns out there was nothing wrong with me and everything had recovered um but for some reason we weren't able to fall pregnant so our first was born through ivf which was amazing and the second one just happened naturally ivf is um in vitro fertilization yes it's a form of that's right i don't know how you describe it really it's you you basically you you take chemicals to aid fertility and then the eggs are taken out of um out of it's my a, wife it's and like, then yeah it's all done in a it's all done scientifically it's like an assisted pregnancy yeah uh, sort of yeah, yeah. and very like, it's, common very common it's very very common and yeah so we were very lucky with that so um i think 
there's always the benefit of hindsight and there's always the the, you know, the benefit of, of the years that go by. And I'm at a point now in my life where I don't often think about it, even though I still live with the, the, the scars and, you know, a certain level of discomfort in my, in my, in my left leg. Mm. But the mental side of it, I've kind of got over that though. It took me a long time, a long, long time. Um, Can I ask what the, what the difficulty was? Uh, was it just, the feeling of like, uh, do I deserve it? Do I deserve to have? I, I don't. I don't know really what mm. it must have been like for you. But I think for I can, me, yeah. it was. If you imagine that you're about to go out on a big adventure, mm-hmm. um, so I was about to graduate. I had these plans to move down to London. I had these plans to do interesting things work-wise and in in my job. And then, so you imagine that you you know you're you're standing on the doorstep and you're about to go out into the big wide world and then somebody slams that door in your face and yeah. you don't know when you're going to come out of that box again. Mm. There was that element of it. All that was taken away and like all my peers went off and all my friends from university moved down to London and they started their lives and they started their careers and I was sitting at home. I had to go back and live with my parents, which was hard, yeah. you know. Um, so there's that side, but also there's the other part. So I did move down to London eventually and I did start working and all those things that I wanted to do, but I always felt that there was something hanging over me because I think the other thing as well, that when you finish, uh, treatment, chemotherapy, radiotherapy, whatever it is, there's never a point where the doctor shakes your hand and says, well done. That's it. You've beaten it. You've done it. They don't, they say, okay, so what we're going to do is, we're going to see you every month and then that becomes every three months and then every six months, every year, every mm-hmm. five years. Mm-hmm. And they never stop seeing you. You're never completely free of that side of things. I mean, now I go every five years, so, you know, it's fine. But when I was going every three months, I'd just get really anxious on the day of the hospital appointment because yeah. you go in, you have scans, they they check everything and you just worry that, you know, something will have will have come back again yeah. and it's incredibly difficult so you're just living with this thing hanging over you kind of thing. yeah that's, that's that's how it was yeah yeah I and see. you become very sensitive about any kind of ache or pain in your body right you know I, actually become a bit paranoid yeah. i imagine yeah 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 wow i mean yeah that must have been really tough to 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 deal with mm. but yeah so i guess that's why then you chose to to do the london marathon mm-hmm. um 10 years ago uh, yeah, years 10 years ago, I did it. And hopefully again next year. Um, so I raised money for charity. I raised money for um, a hospital called the Christie in Manchester, which is where I did all my treatment, mm-hmm. all the experimental treatment. Yeah. And uh, it's the largest um, cancer care centre in Europe, I think. And they're doing really fantastic stuff up there. Really, really good stuff. Yeah. Um, I think as well, for me... I, people often find this a strange comment, but now I look back at it, I think it was the best thing that ever happened to me. Doing the marathon? Oh, oh, having, having cancer. Having the cancer. Because it made me entirely reassess what I wanted in life. Uh-huh. And it made me think I'm never going to do anything work-wise that doesn't make me happy. I'm never going to be in a relationship that doesn't make me happy. I'm just not going to... There's, there's, life is too short. So in that respect, it's been very good for me. It's opened my eyes. And I think it, it made me a much calmer person and a much sort of more caring person, if you like. More I mean, it's grown more, up. More grown up. I had to grow up. Um, but it's one of the reasons I wanted to go into teaching. I wanted to do something that was constructive and that was helpful. And, you know, 
all of those things. So mm. yeah, for me, it was a, it was a positive out of a very negative. Yeah, that's great. And, uh, all right. So I was going to ask you about uh, doing the marathon. I mean, I'm, I have to say before, I, before I carry on asking you about the marathon and stuff, I think it's an amazing story. Thank you. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, it really is, you know, it's, it's moving and it's amazing and it's impressive and it must have been a horrific experience to go through. I mean, you know, I, I've, I've been ill, but nothing like that. Mm. Uh, and, you know, being told these things like your, the percentage of chance you had for survival mm. and then being told that you're going to lose your leg and everything, mm. it must have been incredibly uh, frightening and, and, and all mm. that sort of thing. So, you know, respect, man. Thanks, man. For, for coming through it and doing, taking control and choosing to, to challenge yourself and, you know, and that thing about, you know, life's too short. It's true. We don't all get to realize it. Mm. We don't all have experiences that make us realize that life is too short, but we should remember these things. And, you know, if I, I, it makes me, re, you know, remember that that's important, mm. that, you know, you shouldn't be doing things that make you unhappy. Don't accept it. You know, if you're in a situation where your your life is not the way it, you, you're in, it's not going the way you like, you know, do something about it, mm. right? Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Time can be taken away from you very, very quickly and very easily. So don't waste it. Enjoy it. Enjoy it. Yeah. Enjoy the time you have. Absolutely. Okay. And well, I suppose you enjoy running marathons. I mean, I, I once, don't know if it's that enjoyable for me. Once but. I enjoy it, uh, it was, I remember when I finished the marathon, I said to everybody, like my family had come down and my wife was there and a lot of friends. And I just, the first thing I said is I'm never going to do that again. <laughs> And 10 years later, I am, I think I've forgotten how painful it was. Um, pe what people always say about running the marathon is that you hit the wall. You do. You this, genuinely do. This famous wall. I mean, you know, if all these marathon runners keep hitting walls, maybe they should look where they're, where they're going. <laughs> <laughs> do you know why that is, though? Do you know why they hit the wall? Well, what is the wall? Can you well, the, explain it first? The wall, I hit the wall. I hit the wall at around about 20 miles, which is... There's a saying that anybody can run 20 miles, but very few people can run the, ne the next six. Uh -huh. And it's something to do with the fact that your body has enough carbohydrate and fat storage in it to keep you going for about three hours. Okay. It's why the, the, the top marathon runners don't really hit the wall because they're done in like two, two and a half. I see. But yeah. they say that, you know, you can, you can, your body can sustain you for three hours, but after that you just begin to run on empty and that's what they call hitting the wall. Isn't that, isn't it when your body runs out of energy yeah. and it starts using lactic acid? Yes, exactly. It basically starts eating your body up or your muscles and stuff. The energy, I don't know how it's, how it works, but the energy that goes into your muscles that previously was coming from fat and carbohydrates. Yeah. And what sugars or something? I'm not sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, oh, yeah, that's pretty. That, right that was all being converted into energy, yeah. which is what, like calories? I don't know really what form the energy takes. But calories, then, yeah, calories, mm -hmm. which is what the muscles are used to do all the things they're doing. When all that runs out, the muscles continue to run, but instead of getting calories, they're using lactic acid instead, yeah. which is like the sort of the really dirtiest, cheapest sort of it's, crap that you're, you know, yeah. it really, it destroys your body as it's yeah. working. Yeah. I, I always feel sorry for um, marathon runners because the ones who get the most support, i.e. the fast ones, are the ones that don't need it. It's those people that are coming in after five hours that are really buggered and they're really just knackered. 
and they need all the encouragement that they can get. I did it. I finished in five hours, 11 and I was just happy to finish. Um, but I got to 20 miles in about three hours, 20. So I was doing all right. And then the last six miles took me almost two hours. Yeah. I was just finished. I was like vomiting. I was like hobbling. It was just, it was brutal. And there's a bit... Hobbling, on, sorry. Hobbling, hobbling is when you, you can't really walk properly because your legs are just giving away. So my my left knee, actually, the, the place where I had the cancer, was the, the, was the thing that gave me the problem on the day. It hadn't given me any problems at all during the training. Yeah. It was always the other side because I tend to put most of my weight onto my right leg when I'm running to yeah. compensate. Yeah. But on the day itself, I thought it was quite ironic, actually, but it was my left leg, the whole reason I was doing the race that <laughs> gave way. And so, yeah, so 20, the last six miles, I was kind of walking and running in uh, and, kind of and half and half. I guess hobbling is a bit like when you're limping with both legs. Yeah. You know, it's like both legs are painful. You're sort yeah. of walking in this very uncomfortable way, like hobbling along. There's, yeah. there's a part of the marathon course when you're coming back from east to west, because you finish outside Buckingham Palace. And you go all the way along uh, the embankment, which is the, the road that runs along the, the north bank of the Thames. And there's these tunnels that you go through mm-hmm. and they call them the death tunnels because there's no crowds in there. And the, the support on the marathon is amazing. You know, from, the, from the very beginning to the very end, you've just got thousands of people cheering for you. And it's, it is amazing. Yeah. But then you get into these tunnels and it goes really quiet. Mm-hmm. And all you can hear are other runners just kind of going, oh, you know. <laughs> And they're just, and it's horrible. It's really scary because you realise actually, you're like, oh God, this is, this is bad. And it's around about 23, 24 miles. So you're almost there. It's just, these noise. Yeah. Like zombies or something. Yeah, it is. It is like that. People, and at that, at that point for me, I'd slowed right down. So I was basically moving like a zombie. Like, and I, I remember I saw like, um, the ambulance people, the, the the first aid people at the side of the road, and I stopped and I said, look, can you have a look at my leg? I'm really, really sore. And I think if they'd said to me, yeah, you should stop, I would have stopped. Yeah. But they, they were really good. They just kind of said, well, you know, I can put this on it for you. I can do this for you. Mm-hmm. But they never once said, you should think about stopping. And I think they're trained to do that. So I got back up and I was like... Phew wanted to stop <laughs> but yeah and, I, and I'm, I'm glad i didn't because all of a sudden you then turn the corner and it says like you know 400 meters to go yeah and you're like wow i'm actually gonna finish and i remember i turned the corner in front of buckingham palace and then i could see the finish line and i properly sprinted oh wow well i thought i did but when you can see a little video of you finishing and i'm sprinting about one mile an hour <laughs> But my arms are really going for it, you know, but my body, my legs just weren't doing anything. And I got overtaken by a woman dressed as the queen. Oh, right. <laughs> it wasn't the queen herself. It might it? well have been. Yeah. Yeah. 80, Excuse me. 85 years old going faster than me. But I crossed the line and uh, across the finish line and just burst into tears because it was just the whole emotion of everything that had been before came out. And it, I think it was interesting because I think something kind of in me kind of finished that day like looking back and thinking about illness and all that kind of stuff i I think i just dealt with it yeah when i crossed the line because doing a thing like that is a way of it's a symbolic act that that kind of closes the door on that part of your your life yeah yeah i can imagine it was it must have been a very emotional experience Mm. yeah wow Tell me again about hitting the wall. I want to know exactly how much pain you experienced while while I'm sitting here in comfort. Um, 
What does it actually feel like then to hit the wall when the lactic acid comes into the body? What, what does it feel like? You just, it just feels like something has fallen out of you. You know what I mean? Or yeah. like your, 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 that little ball of energy that you have, like the, you know, when you're excited or if you're nervous, it's like a little ball inside you. Or yeah. I don't know how to describe it. When you're it. doing exercise, you just feel that you've got some energy in there. And it just feels like it's gone. You know, and the, there's all sorts of things that, you know, you say I'm running on empty, you know, like a car when it runs out of petrol. Yeah. That's what it feels like. It's difficult to describe. And I've kind of, I can't tell you exactly how it feels because it, it only ever happened that once and it was a long time ago. And I think I've kind of pushed it from my memory a little yeah. bit. I think that's kind of, um, I've had to do that. Otherwise I would never agree to do another marathon. <laughs> but um, yeah, it, it, it's, it's like you've got nothing left and your body just starts giving up on you. And and you mentally you're gone as well because you're trying to think, right, just keep going, just keep going. But then you kind of almost forget how to run. Yeah. It's really strange. So the best thing to do is just to either stop and sit down for a little while and think about it or just walk. So I walked for quite a long way. Yeah. Which, um, yeah. And then until I've kind of got my, collected my thoughts and then started running again. Oh my God, I can't believe you're going to do it again. Well, we'll see. I need to get a place. We'll see. Fingers crossed. I'd like to do it again. Mm. I'd like to do it and, you know, and, and have my kids see me finish and, you know, things like that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And then I can then I can do, leave it another ten years. <laughs> right. Okay. Awesome. Brilliant. Well, that's that's amazing. I have to say. Now I think I understand the the appeal of it now a bit. I don't think I'm going to do it. You don't have to do the London Marathon. There's one in Paris. You can do the Paris Marathon. Luke. Yeah, yeah. I'll do it right. with you. I'll run over. I'll come over. Yeah. We'll do it together. Maybe you can, we can do a live podcast. Imagine that <laughs> podcasting while running. Like so, uh, we've been running for three hours now, and. Uh, <laughs> I think I'm dead. I think I've actually died. Uh, this is what it's like in in purgatory or wherever it is we are. Because uh, this, yeah. The first half an hour, an hour might be quite entertaining and then it'll just be a load of like, uh, uh, That's right. <laughs> for three hours. Three hours. <laughs> why, Andy, why? <laughs> I've actually a question for you. I've seen this on the, on the comment section. Yeah. But people have started using luke as a time measurement yeah yeah it's true what's that about so there's a listener called adam uh -huh. uh, who um started this by telling telling us that uh he listens to the podcast when he's commuting and he does a lot of commuting right and he's he, he listens to so many episodes that he's started to use um my podcast as a measurement of time and distance okay so a luke is according to him is either the distance that you can travel during the average duration of a, of a podcast, which is about 75 minutes by his reckoning. Okay. So it's the distance, you, the average distance that you would travel in 75 minutes, mm -hmm. or it's just a, a unit of 75 minutes. Like the way 60 minutes is an hour, 75 minutes is a Luke. Right. So, you know, people have been commenting, you know, telling um, us uh, how many Lukes it takes for them to get to work or you know, how many Lukes are, are in their average commute? So I could, what, it would take me two Lukes to watch Goodfellas. Um, yeah, I would say so. Good, <laughs> the, the Martin Scorsese movie is about two Lukes long. Okay. Yeah, and you know, they should put the that on the poster. football match is just over a Luke long. Right, yeah, it's a bit flawed, isn't it? So like a rugby match. Like okay. a, a Luke is a bit like the length of a of a, of of a, rugby, a rugby match. Rugby matches are 80 minutes, aren't they? I think so, yeah. yeah. But I was going to say, your podcast kind of, of, they vary in length quite significantly they don't do they? some of them are less than an hour and some of them are over an hour and a half yeah. but uh um on average they seem to be about an hour and 15 minutes long 
Right. Yeah, I'd, I'd say so. Even when I think to myself, I'm going to do a half an hour episode, I finish it. I like literally I'm watching the clock as I'm recording it. Yeah. And I notice that it's half an hour. I stop recording. I put it together, upload it. It's an hour and 15 minutes. Just that's the magic number. Yeah, I don't know how, it, don't know how it happens. I think probably it's because I ramble on at the end and at the beginning and, you know, and, and in the middle. <laughs> your, your condition, your rambles are conditioned to fill whatever space is left to make it up yeah, to one I don't loop. know what would happen if I rambled for more than that. I think I would, you know, it would ruin Adam's life. It would just be, it would, yeah, or either that or the lactic acid would take over. And have you ever hit the wall when you're podcasting? No, no, uh, no, no. What's no. the longest podcast you've ever done, I or what's the most continuous? Like, like we've been talking now for about an hour, hour and a half. What's the longest you've ever done in one in stint? one session? Yeah. Oh, I don't know. I've done at least three hours in a session before. Wow. Where I've done two episodes back to back, and they've right. been about an hour and a half each. And, and yeah. how did you feel at the end of that? Uh, you know, slightly tired. Yeah. But, <laughs> yeah, quite tired. Because I couldn't do that. There's no way I could do that. I mean, it, I can talk to you, but that's because you're, you're doing most of the talking and asking the questions. But I could not speak like that for three hours. Wow. I, I don't know. You'd, you'd be surprised. Yeah. I mean, have you ever tried it? No, I'm not going to. You'd, yeah, yeah, most not, normal no, people wouldn't. I'm not going to. No, forget it. You, yeah. you run a marathon and then I'll do that. Okay. But uh, it's it's easier than people think. Because mm. especially when you consider that you're trying to be clear, and especially if you're trying to... See, the thing about doing this podcast is mm. that I can st- talk about something and then sort of explain what I'm talking about, mm. which doubles the... The, the length of stuff you know so i can say so i'm sitting in a in a in a porter cabin or i'm sitting in a in a in a terrapin hut terrapin hut yeah uh, all words to describe sort of auxiliary uh, rooms to yeah. a building you've got the main building and then we're in another building which is which was built later and it's kind of like how would you describe this kind of place well it's four classrooms isn't it it's a building which has been divided into four classrooms it's like, and yeah it's called the hut the hut the hut so it's like um a hut is like a temporary structure usually made of wood i actually yeah. had the word hut on the podcast recently oh really yeah it's, i described it as either a, a, um, a place that you use to store things yeah so like store tools and stuff and it would be made yeah. of wood yeah but also a hut could be the kind of building that would be like a temporary office on a building site or an intergalactic gangster or or jabber the hut jabba the an hut. intergalactic uh, gangster exactly um so this is i w- saying that we're in a hut sort of doesn't really do justice to this this yeah, room it's it, much it, nicer it's than much that. nicer it's got you know it's nicely decorated and it's you know but there's only, there's only one floor. Yeah. There's no stairs to going up, yeah, up yeah. to another floor. There's only one floor, and it's 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 kind of on on um, uh, how would you describe it? on little legs. It's raised, know? yeah. It's raised yeah. off the ground, yeah. so you could store things underneath it, for example. Yeah, um, I always used to really like teaching in these classrooms because they're they're just a nice size and they're a nice little atmosphere. Yeah. The only, the only, in the winter, they get very cold. Yeah. I mean, they've all got heating in now, but um, yeah, it, they. That's the only downside. Yeah. You, you, and even now, you have to come in. If you're teaching in here in the morning, you come in first thing, put the radiator on full. Mm. So by nine o'clock, it's not freezing in here. Yeah. And you stop seeing your breath as right. you're teaching. Also, the other thing about these huts is that you have to step up to come into the That's room. That's right, yeah. Now, I remember once I was teaching next door in that room, 
and we were, you know, I had my class of students. There was probably about six or seven of us. Yeah. And one person who hadn't arrived yet, this sort of middle-aged woman, she hadn't arrived yet. So, you know, the six or seven of us were sitting there talking. So blah, 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 checking the homework or whatever. And she, I saw her arrive and she was in, she was a bit stressed out and stuff. It was like the second day of the course. No one really knew each other very well. Everyone's like still getting to know each other, first impressions and stuff. And uh, she, she stressed out. She came, she opened, flung the door open and immediately fell into the room. <laughs> Bam! <laughs> fell right on her hands and knees in the classroom because in her haste, she flung the door open and tripped up on the step and basically fell into the room. And it was like, morning now what would you do in a situation like that because you've got a couple of options you can either look really embarrassed laugh it off or you can just style it out and get up and pretend it didn't happen yeah i would i would probably i'd probably stay down for a moment <laughs> and go oh bloody hell and then i'd stand up brush myself off and sit down and or just on. play dead or just pretend to be dead yeah <laughs> uh, what does she do uh bring me a coffee and a biscuit and i'll be okay <laughs> Um, no, she was all right. She brushed herself off and sat down and it was all right. Quite the entrance. Yeah, she she didn't make a big fuss about it because some people would yeah. have been uh, mortified by that. But she handled it okay. It gave me the impression that the sort of thing that happened to her all the time. Yeah. <laughs> she, <laughs> oh, just falling over. Never mind me. Again. Second time today. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. So... Well, I think we've pretty much run out of time here, Andy, but thank you so much for talking You're to very me welcome. About, uh, about running and about all the other things that we've been through. Listeners, if you have been running while listening to this, then do get in touch. Let us know. If you uh, hate running and uh, can't bear to do any physical exercise, I totally understand. Uh, where you're coming from I, I i remember once speaking to my friend tom and when i was training for the marathon i was like oh you know i ran from i ran from wandsworth to barnes bridge today mm. expecting him to be impressed and he just looked at me and went well why don't you take the bus <laughs> <laughs> that's a good point that's, right. that's a good point sometimes i see people running and like you see people jogging who uh, I don't know, not very good at it. You've got like these really great joggers. You've got all the equipment and they're like, you know, they've got the technique, they're like, running in the right way. And then you see some people who, you get the impression they've only been jogging for a few weeks yeah. and they're at the end of their, sorry, jogging, running. Running, thank you. They're, they're at the end of their run and they're desperate. You see these desperate people like running uh, like next to the river or something and they're like, ah, 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 like one leg dragging behind ah, like that and, and you're kind of thinking, oh my God, what's, what's going on? It looks like they're running away from like a zombie invasion or something. Ah, 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 don't look back, ah, you know. It's that, like, Jesus, what's happening? That's pretty much what I look like when I run. Really? <laughs> I've been doing it for years, but I'm not, you know, I still look like I'm dying. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, oh my God. <sighs> I always, I always, I get really, you know, I'll be running and I, the other day I was running and this guy just kind of breezed past me and he just, he was making me look bad on every single level. Mm. Like he had a full head of lovely hair and he was like really handsome and tanned. He was, he had his top off because it was hot and he was like really ripped. Oh. And if that wasn't bad enough, he just was like, he just kind of, like, he was like a gazelle and just, you know, sprinted away from me. And I was just like, <laughs> like yeah. oh, well, you know, he, you know, never mind that. But to answer your question, I, I don't think we should try and get people to go running. Just, you know, just look after yourselves. Yeah. Just be good to each other. Okay. Just look after yourselves and have an ice cream. Why not? Life's too short. True yeah. that. 
Yeah. Okay. All right. Thanks, mate. Thank you. Cheers. Cheers. So I would just like to thank Andy again for coming onto the podcast and telling us about his story. It was a very interesting conversation, and I think that that is probably the closest that we've ever come to having tears on the podcast. It was a very moving story, but no tears from either of us this time. Uh, I wonder if you held it together out there in podcast land, or did you start welling up at any moment during Andy's story? Um, Don't forget that Andy would like you to take his survey about self-directed learning. You can find the link to that on the page for this episode. Uh, Andy just wants to know about how you learn English on your own outside the classroom environment. And that includes how you use Luke's English podcast to help you with your English. Uh, You'll find the link on the page for the episode. Click the link. The questionnaire will take just a couple of minutes and you will help Andy with his research for his next IATEFL conference talk. That's basically it for this episode. Watch out for some website-only content coming soon. Subscribe to the mailing list on the website to get informed when that stuff is released. I hope that you are continuing to have a good August, if indeed it is August as you listen to this. I'm still on holiday, relaxing and having a lovely time, I hope. I mean, I'm actually recording this now before I go on holiday or before I went on holiday. What's the right... What's the right tense for that? I'm recording this now before I go on holiday, or for you, before I went on holiday. This is actually a very weird situation time-wise, isn't it? Which tense should I be using here? Because I'm actually recording right now, which is in the past, but as I'm talking, it's the future. So my present is your past, and your present is my future. So what's the right tense? That's, that's like the present It's like the present, past, perfect, future, continuous or something. I am, will have been, being, having a great time. And I will have been and had been hoped that you will be being, having a wonderful time too in the future. So uh, thanks for listening to this episode. And I will speak to you again on the podcast soon. But for now, it's time to say goodbye. Bye, 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 bye. Thanks for listening to Luke's English Podcast. For more information, visit teacherluke.co.uk. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. If you enjoyed this episode of Luke's English Podcast, consider signing up for Luke's English Podcast Premium. You'll get regular premium episodes with stories, vocabulary, grammar and pronunciation teaching from me and the usual moments of humour and fun. Plus, with your subscription, you will be directly supporting my work and making this whole podcast project 
possible. For more information about Luke's English Podcast Premium, go to teacherluke.co.uk slash premium info.